Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply. This is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Hello and welcome to another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Sam Edmund here with an AFL Hall of Famer, but it's his career off the field and in the media that we want to relive today. Terry Wallace is on his farewell lap of the footy media and it's been a long and distinguished time behind the microphone. Some know him as Plough, others as the list manager. Terry Wallace. Welcome. G'day, Sam. How are you going? And uh, I think, is this your first gig doing uh, this particular show? I am, and I'm in the bunker, aren't I? Why is there a, a double uh, double glazed glass between us, please? Uh, well, we all know everyone's coronavirus out at the moment, but, uh, you know, just the uh, circumstances of the... Uh Situation we're in, um, we just got a bit of glass between us. I feel a bit strange in the <laughs> studio by myself, but we'll I'm sure we'll get through. It's not you, it's me. It all started, I reckon, for you when it comes to media. In the middle, what hits me most obviously is the middle of 1996. Your relationship with the media, you almost walked headfirst into it, didn't you? You took over as coach of the Western Bulldogs, and lo and behold. There was a documentary crew there waiting for you. Yeah, well, Sam, that, that, that one wasn't my uh, my <laughs> fault uh, as such because, I mean, the club obviously had uh, organised and agreed to do the doc- documentary, I should say, long before um, I took over the position. club was in a bit of financial turmoil at the time. Uh, Peter Gordon was the, the president, as he is now. Uh, so uh, they were doing it pretty hard, and I think that they just wanted to – yeah, put the the whole club out there and, and sort of show this is us and we're real and uh, there might have been a little bit of the just in case it doesn't survive we have something there for the history banks as well and I'm sure that the Fitzroy Footy Club as it now played out would have loved to have something like that available so it was agreed upon by everyone at the football club right through from board level uh, right through to the uh, to the senior coach at, at the time and uh, off it went but. As uh, these documentaries can ha- have happened, uh, it, it sort of yeah, went to some strange areas and it was the worst possible season that it could have been for uh, for the footy club. And uh, Alan Joyce ended up leaving the club halfway through. There was a bit of a player revolt from that side of things. Um, we had uh, one of our, our boys was crook with cancer. I mean, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong with the footy club in the first half of that year and hence... 
uh, I was in the seat. The documentary was The Year of the Dogs. It aired in 1997. I'm just having a look at it. It grossed a whopping 199000 at the box office. You who? <laughs> <laughs> Which maybe back in the day was a bit more coin than what you would uh, you would assume, but it won a few awards as well. And it was played on Seven Mate before, and speaking of legacies, before the 2016 grand final, the Dogs so spectacularly won, of course. So it will live on for eternity. Yeah, look, it's been one of those that uh, a couple of the quotes from that particular show have never left me. And it was only a, a week ago that I was uh, <laughs> asked to do a birthday wish for somebody. And it might have had the old line of, uh, if you don't have a great time out there tonight, I'll spew up. <laughs> so, yeah, look, it, it has been one of those things. I think yeah, as social media has grown and you've almost had another generation of football fans, uh, they've cottoned on to it uh, more so when yeah, the line gets dragged out quite uh, quite regularly and I don't think that'll ever go away. Is there a real business opportunity there for you? We see celebrities in Hollywood with those tribute iPhone uh, video messages. You could turn this into the next venture. No, look, I'm sailing off into the sunset, uh, Sam, and uh, quite happy to be doing so. So I'm hoping to leave that uh, behind as part of the journey, but I'm sure it'll never completely go away. Just speaking of your journey, uh, it's well known, obviously. You're a, a dual best and fairest winner at two clubs. You're a Hall of Famer. You're an All-Australian as a player and a coach. Your career and journey's been so full of colour. It's almost ironic that in your farewell year, you've picked a farewell year to bow out. I can tell you what, with the <laughs> coronavirus and everything, you're going out in trademark fashion uh, with an absolute bang. And probably with a little bit uh, less money in the pocket, as all of us will uh, we'll be suffering from uh, certain aspects of it. Uh, yeah, 43 years, so just very quickly, um, it was 14 playing, 16 coaching, which included my assistant coaching sort of stints at the Bulldogs as well, and 13 in the media. So it's been the last 11, but there was two years in between, obviously, the Bulldogs uh, time and Richmond when I went back to coaching. So all up, yeah, 13 years from a media point of view. How did you come to the realisation this was going to be your farewell lap? Uh, probably 18 months ago, I uh, spoke with Hutchie. I've always just done a, a one-year uh, agreement with the with the company and happy to do so. And I got to the stage, I just went, you know what, I've had enough of myself. I'm, it might sound strange, but you uh, you're forever making uh, comment. You're forever analysing things. You're forever making. You know, sometimes we all hope not to make big statements that don't come true, but you're you're always out there. And I just got the stage where I went, you know what? I'm actually happy to actually listen to others and their opinions, and just to be able to sort of sit back and, and relax and enjoy it. Uh, plus. There were some bucket list things I hadn't done in my life. Uh, you know, I'd never had the opportunity of doing doing a European summer at all. Um, so that was something that was there. But there's a pretty, pretty big and healthy uh, bucket list. Um, so just a few other things that I wanted to to do in life. So I sort of said to Hutchie, so everyone was on the same page. How about we do a two year agreement? which was obviously 18 months ago, uh, you know when, when the finish line's there, I know when the finish line's there, and uh, we can just work towards that. And that's pretty much the way it's, uh, way it's played out. So many people have warmed to you in the media, not that they didn't beforehand, but uh, agree with what you have to say, disagree, and you're great for all those things you just mentioned, you know, debating and the issues of football. Looking back, it seemed logical you would go from player to coach, coach to media. As a player, were you always, how was your relationship with the media when you had the boots on? Um... Yeah, okay. Uh, it was more particularly later 
uh, okay. In the early days, you're just you know, you're playing and you're just trying to establish yourself as a player. But in, in the later years of my career, so more when I was getting towards the, my bulldog times, I was working as a state sales manager for Sky Channel, which is a satellite TV firm. Uh, they were out of GDV9, part of the Packer Empire at, at the time. And uh, so all the people I hung out with were the media people. So, you know, Friday night drinks were with the media media guys and, you know, the guys around Channel 9. So I, I sort of was in that case from that early stages and particularly then into my early coaching where I was – because I was still um, – up until a period of time when I was assistant coaching, I was still working at Channel 9. So, yeah, in those early days of coaching, I was still hanging out with all the media boys anyway. So I, where it become the enemy for a lot of coaches, you know, and it was a generation before me. I mean, it was, you know, the – John Kennedy's of the world, and I'm talking from a Hawthorne point of view. So John Kennedy, you know, followed obviously by um, Parkin, followed by Jeans. They sort of said, "No, we don't touch the media." You know, they're, <laughs> they're virtually our enemies. That was their generation. Who put that onto a few of my generation? But because I'd sort of grown up with the boys, it was a little bit different for me. So I think probably that way. I've, I was prepared to break a few barriers down where others weren't prepared to open the door at all. And did you get some heat about not opening the door at all? It's interesting. Uh, it's always interesting. When I when I went coaching and I started opening up the doors, you know, so doing interviews before a game finished, doing a half-time interview, which was unheard of back at the time, and right into finals as well. When you're winning, everyone sort of says, well, gee, have a look at this. this is a breath of fresh air. It's fantastic. And then all of a sudden, if the pendulum starts to go the other way, he's gone down Media Street. He's overdone it. Uh, you know, <laughs> where's the concentration levels? All I want him to do is coach. So it's always a balance and it's, it's a winning industry. So uh, all I can say is when it was good, uh, those, and I'm talking club land, loved it. Uh, because it opened up the club a lot more and so probably assisted from that way. But when you were losing, it did come back to bite you. Given you were you had the sleeves rolled up and you were in it, could you use the media to your advantage when you were coaching uh, in-game and out-of-game during the week to control things as best you could? Uh, I think to a degree. Well, I think if we have a look at our, our real spokesperson coaches, Nathan Buckley is one that comes to hand very, very quickly. We know that as coaches, that this is an ability to get a message straight to your you know, your supporter base, your membership base. So that ability to be able to sort of work there, um, I think was something that a lot of coaches back in the time didn't use. I thought we needed it at the Bulldogs because, yeah, we're a smaller club. Uh, yeah, we needed real passion, we needed an us against them sort of environment. So from that factor, I think it, it certainly did help. I think from an information gathering point of view, because I was more open, it, it was more likely to be things coming back your way. So you had a greater understanding or you got more knowledge back in the time than what other coaches and clubs were able to sort of garnish just because of the fact that you scratch my back or you help me and I'm more likely to help you. What about literally in-game? Did you ever get the old wireless radio out in the coach's box and listen to some um, commentary? Well, I didn't. I was probably a little bit busy for that. But, uh, we look, I had uh, two or three uh, confidants uh, that uh, used to sit in the box right next to me. Uh, basically, what they would do is they would 
listen to the different radio stations and we picked you know who was on and what we thought were the best ones prior to a, a game and they would just send through anything that they thought was um, relevant so it wasn't like <laughs> yeah they've had a four goal run you, we need to stop this I mean that's pretty obvious but if it was actually coaching areas in the game and I'll give you an example yep. like, I can remember a game where Dermot Brereton was in special comments with one of the radio stations he's worked for so many I can't remember which one <laughs> it was now but um, yeah so he was in there and Chris Grant was playing on his direct opponent as a centre forward Dermot's position clearly so what was happening was Granty was coming up at the ball, so playing in front of his direct opponent, which normally you'd think is the right thing to do, but his opponent had the closing speed to be able to close him down. Let's call it Ken Hinckley, you know, who was a pretty athletic player at the time. I can't remember who the exact player was. But he was closing him down and shutting him down and being able to get a fist in to the ball when it came through. Dermot sort of suggested, he sort of said, He's just a bigger specimen. Grant is a bigger specimen than the bloke that he's playing on. So it would actually be a really good idea for him to play him from behind, use his body, hold his ground, and then be able to go back on the ball and be able to mark it that way. And I think he might be able to get an advantage out of that. So I went, Dermot knows more about centre-half forward play than what I do. In my uh, match committee team, we haven't got a designated centre-half forward. That makes pretty much common sense that that would be something that we should be passing on to Grady for him to be able to put in his repertoire to try, try. Message goes out, he tries it, bang, bang, kicks two goals in three minutes, changes the flight of a game. So it was that sort of stuff. And I just went, why wouldn't you use a bigger match committee if you've got the capability of doing so? And that's the only reason sort of I used it. Assuming you took the credit at the time too. Probably. Yeah, as you should have. <laughs> as you do. <laughs> Plenty more still to come on. This is your sporting life, of course, for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're with the list manager, Terry Plough-Wallace. Terry, who rang you with your first job in the media? Take take us back in time. Uh, well, really my first job was part of Sky Channel. So yep. I was doing, uh, they were going into the pubs and clubs and I'd do like a uh, preview of all the AFL games. It was actually almost the hardest gig that I've ever done in the whole of my journey in the media, because where you'd have a newsreader might do a 45 second grab, this was a six minute read. So, so you had to just spiel it off and we didn't have the facility at the time to be able to cut and paste. So I had to actually be able to get it done. I hadn't had any experience. I hadn't been given any training whatsoever. Sink or swim. Sink or swim. So I used to go in on a Friday uh, Friday morning into uh, into one of the back Channel 9 studios where they used to read, you know, like the 11 o'clock news and, and that sort of thing and uh, and try to get this spiel right. Uh, I couldn't say I was a one-take wonder. There was a few times where we had to just start again and, uh, <laughs> and go for it. But uh, it, it did teach me a heck of a lot, you know, really about – uh, how how to conduct yourself and how to uh, to be able to present uh, properly. And 
had some wonderful people like Peter Hitchener. Um, he used to you know, be coming in to do his news break and you know, he would help me with little hints about you know, breathing and when to do. I mean, I need all the help that I could get with this voice the way it is anyway. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so he would help me with you know, some of the, just the nuances about how to do things, which I thought really uh, did really assist me. The early days, other than that, um, I worked with uh, the early times of Fox Footy, worked alongside a Clinton Gribus, who I thought was an absolute superstar and one of the uh, the absolute best performers, and he was going to be anything in the uh, in the media industry. It was just such a, a tragedy uh, what happened there. Channel 7 uh, I worked with uh, while I was coaching. I was on Talking Footy while I was a senior coach, so which was – a little unusual back at the time. I mean, nowadays we sort of see it and we get a couple of the coaches come on to some of the uh, footy shows, you know, on a weekly basis. But back then it was, you know, really unheard of. So that was an interesting time as well. What did the players think of it, having the coach, having their man up uh, on a weekly basis? Like anything, you'd have to ask them because what they say to me and what they say behind closed (laughs) doors while they're having a beer would probably be two different things. But, uh, oh, look, we were... I thought in the early Bulldogs days, we broke a lot of ground. And, uh, you know, I'm pleased, having spent so much time in this area, that a lot of things that are trialled and tried today, we were really early in the piece of, you know, opening up the doors of the, you know, the Western Bulldogs footy club uh, to so many things that are now just part and parcel of the way the game is. And I always had the opinion that it was, footy entertainment and I always had the opinion that it was the people's game and so the more that they understood what we were doing in the background the more that they could sort of get to know you know the players and uh, you know me as me as the coach and and what made us tick I mean I just thought they should have that access a lot didn't and uh, I had a few blues along the way I get on real well with Mick Malthouse but the day that I went on air um, over in Perth before the game finished, Mick thought that, that was really offensive. So what was happening was we were in front. There was like 15 points, 20 points, um, the difference. There was a minute to go. and I, we, It was a long walk down the, the back of the stairs um, to get back to the rooms. So I left early and Bruce McAvaney just happened to grab hold of us. They had like an open open air area that they were, uh, they were calling from at the time. And he just sort of said... Would you give the fans a quick hello? And because uh, it was a meritorious win, West Coast were fantastic. Yeah. But during that period, and so I've jumped on and sort of said, yeah, yeah, sure. Just headphones on. It was a uh, g'day, yeah, look to our fans watching at home. We're absolutely wrapped. Yeah, you know, hopefully, yeah, you know, this is a way that we can start driving the the footy club. Well, You're Mick, excited. Absolutely, but Mick thought that that was really offensive. Yeah, the game's not even finished yet, and uh, yeah, it tested our relationship there for a period of time. But uh, yeah, we everyone moves on, and uh, he was my coach at the Bulldogs anyway. And, like we get on, yeah, fabulously well. Uh, but it was just one of those testing times. So how did that manifest itself? Did he ring you afterwards? Or uh, it, yeah, look, or it, it manif- in person, <laughs> it manifested itself for a while. No, <laughs> just the story started getting back. Uh, uh, I think he went on a couple of different areas and sort of said said things. Uh, I can remember um, having, at the end of that year, having an altercation of some sorts with um, one of the West Coast head officials at the Brownlow Medal. 
who just sort of said that he thought it was, you know, overstepping the mark somewhat. Still, months later. Months later. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's, so it stuck on for a while. It, it, well, it even stuck on till uh, Mick got to, uh, to Collingwood for a little bit. But as I said, everyone, everyone moves on in life. You were plough as a player. You were plough as a coach until it ended at Richmond in 2009. When did it become the list manager and who came up with the list manager moniker? Uh, well, there's two of us. It was myself and Craig Hutchison. Uh, we were on a flight back. We went over to do a corporate function over in New Zealand and we're on a flight back and I was just speaking to him about you know, what my next venture was. And we, you know, one of those, when you're sitting on a plane for four hours, you talk about a lot of things. And we had spoken uh, at length about where the game was at, you know, what was going well, what was being done well in the media, what wasn't being done well in the media. And I just sort of said, I just thought that there was one area in football and in the football media that I thought wasn't being covered at all. And he sort of said, oh, what was that? And I sort of said, well, list management. I said, you recruiters... Your recruiters are on a tenth, back in those days, a tenth of what the coach, the senior coach was on. So they were just another part of your your, your uh, club. I said, so they should be nearly the highest paid players, uh, high paid people within the uh, footy industry. Plus, half the clubs at that stage only had one recruiter. Uh, that list manager hadn't really come in. There was a couple just delving into into that area a little bit. And I just I said, it is the most important part of the game that's undersold at club level. And if it's undersold at club level, I'm telling you, it, nobody is touching it at, uh, at the next level, which was the media. And I sort of said, that, that's the area that interests me uh, to get into is that whole list management area. And it was just the early days of Twitter. And Hutchie was right across that side of it, which wasn't really my go at all, the, the social media aspect. So uh, um, I'm not really a Facebooker or you know, Instagram, no. Uh, but I, we just sort of said, well, how about you know, if we're going to have a go at this, going into it properly? And we sort of said, well, if you're going to go on to social media, um, are you going to call yourself anything? I sort of said, well, if we're in, we're in boots and all. Why don't I just call myself the list manager? I'm going to be out there analysing lists, uh, trying to sort of see what makes the difference between good sides and bad sides and you know, what really you know, uh, puts a premiership model uh, together and have a crack at it. So that's what we did. We sort of set it up and sort of said, okay, well, that's, that's going to be my strength area in the next sort of 18 months, which has ended up being 10 years. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was quite interesting. I mean, the... The abuse on social media. I'd just come off being sacked by a footy club, um, a, a pretty rough time. I think any coach will sort of say the roughest time in your your life yeah. is when you go through that last you know, month, month and a half, and just all that it is. You don't want to go down the street, you know, to get you know, the milk or you know go and get a paper or anything like that. At the moment with coronavirus, we don't want to go anywhere anyway. But um, yeah, so it's a it's a difficult time to go. And you poured look, petrol on the flames, effectively. Yeah, well, I did. I, so by calling myself the list manager, I mean, you can imagine some of the things that were being said. List manager, well, you're the list, da-da-da-da-da-da, yep. uh, with what you've done with Richmond's list. You put us back 10 years. Now, I look at it these days and have a bit of a chuckle because I'm not sure I put them back 10 years. I mean, uh, Rancy and Rewalt were the two bookends at both ends that come through my time. Uh, Cotchin. 
uh, as the leader of the club, uh, Dusty Martin came to the club in the last year that I was there. So the end of, end of the the last year, and Shane Edwards is there. So I think that set him up reasonably <laughs> okay over a period of time. Although that's not my area; that was the recruitment uh, you know, area at, at the time. So, uh, but our period um, now that it's passed on actually looks better than what it did at the time. But yep. it just put fuel to everything. You know, <laughs> you've just been sacked. Um, here you are um, going at 100 miles an hour into this list management space. I went straight back to work because I got uh, the sack. Well, we agreed. And, that, and truthfully, we did. We just agreed, you know, this is not working for either party. Let's park company so you guys can move on. And uh, and it, that side of it was pretty, reason, pretty reasonable at the time. But, but it was it's just publicly ugly. Uh, so then I'm copping it again. Back and back, back, back. I can always remember, uh, because I did that halfway through the year, I went straight on to SEN and started working with SEN immediately. And people sort of went, what is he doing? Why doesn't he go away? Well, I had a son that was in year 12, that it was his main football year. Uh, he was captain of Kerry uh, Grammar um, and trying to get himself drafted himself. This is the one that ended up becoming an AFL umpire after yep. after all that. But um, so it's his most important year, you know, studies of year 12, the whole footy aspect of will I get drafted, won't I get drafted. I can't. And, and of course, he created him enough problems anyway through the year by all the sackings and the headlines and everything else that was going on. I couldn't down tools and sort of say, well, I'm going to Hawaii for six weeks to get away. So uh, that, that was their time to give something back to them. So I just went, I'll go back to work. Um, if you've ever sat in an, the SEN of, offices and as you're going along, you get the, the reams of SMSs come. When I first got into the SMS uh, or the office um, and the studio, and started having a look at what people were sort of saying about me. I can imagine. It can be a very brutal place at times. The skin couldn't be any thicker, I imagine, all these years on. But to be the list manager, Terry, you probably have to, what will you do? Have to watch all nine games. Now, you proudly claim, and rightfully so, to do exactly that. You watch all nine, do you not? Yep, I do. Um, and it's uh, it's a burden at times, obviously. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard work. So you know, usually I've got six knocked over by... Uh, the end of Sunday night, um, and particularly if, if I'm travelling, it gets a bit more difficult, but uh, my wife will be out the door at 7 o'clock on, on a Monday morning, and you know, so she's up at about a, you know, 6 o'clock sort of thing, so I'm up at 6 just to knock over those last three games. I write notes on every single game um, so that I've, you know, my my recall as the years are going on is not as good as what it used to be, Sam, but uh, yeah, so that's something, and I know that most don't do it. I've had a few uh, media types that have had a little bit of a chuckle about, yeah, sure he does, or I bet you he just flicks through. But it was just the one commitment that I wanted to give, that if I was going to do this part of the job seriously, that I was going to do it as I would have as a coach. I mean, your hours in coaching, not earning as much these days, uh, Sam, but uh, your hours in coaching are incredible. So that work ethic side of it never really worried me about sort of being able to do it. Um, it takes away a little bit of family time, which you've got to balance and juggle off at, at other times. But uh, no, I've always I've managed to get through the nine games regularly, and it gets a little bit more difficult when you've got AFLW 
going on at exactly the same time. So, Terry, if you've got all that hours of footy, you've got to be comfortable if you're sitting down to watch that much footy. I imagine you've got a nice little home cinema set up there in the Yarra Valley. I mean, a man's got to be comfortable. Uh, uh, yeah, I have. Um, I think I had, I mean, they've gone up in degrees uh, from the early days, but I, I uh, put in a home cinema in about 1997 or 98. I think I saw it actually. Yeah. As a cadet, I was uh, did a bit of time on the real estate lift out there at the Herald Sun <laughs> and got sent out to this property in uh, Kangaroo Ground that was for sale and you answered the door. And I got, the, as you would expect, the, the lovely tour of this beautiful home and uh, what has stayed with me all these years was I reckon I just saw the first version of gold class before it became official. Yeah, well, as I said, some of the, uh, you go to Turak these days and see some of the, they put mine to, to shame, but uh, <laughs> uh, it was one of those things that I thought, well, and, you know, I was watching so much at that time I was coaching, but I was watching so much footage um, at home that I just sort of went, do it properly. I've always been a movie buff as well, so I've got that side of it. Netflix wasn't around then, but it certainly has come into uh, into play with a lot of shows uh, there. So no, no, it gets plenty of plenty of use, but uh, the nine games are still going strong. Great to catch up with Terry Wallace, and there's still, of course, plenty more to come here on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobitbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're with Terry Wallace, Plough, and the list manager, Terry we know you you love the media and you, it's been a big part of your life and your career in football. But I think when a certain recruit by the name of Ben Cousins lobbed at Punt Road and the media basically slept over for several weeks on end there in the car park, we might have been a bit too close to home for you. Well, Sam, it was another interesting time. I mean, obviously, uh, it was unbelievable. I hadn't seen anything quite like the Ben Cousins storm when he hit town and it arrived. I can remember you know, when we had our first, we had like an intra-club uh, practice game and there was about 6,000 people at Gosh's Paddock. It was just crazy you know, trying to get him across you know, without the media just being so uh, in his pocket. Um, was from, you know, to get him from Putt Road to Gosh's Paddock was ridiculous. You know, we're trying to hide him in a car and it was out of control and um, that went on the whole entire time that he was there until he played that uh, infamous first game and uh, ripped the hamstring uh, off the bone and it was still a circus from day one till, uh, until I left. So I left 12 weeks into that, that, that particular season and uh, it was... Out of control. I always sort of say to people, I think my last four weeks at the club, and a lot of it was around Ben, and it's not Ben's fault, but just uh, um, because everyone was there the whole time, virtually every single time I got out of my car, it was, have you still got the players on side? Uh, um, you know, have you got the support of the board? I mean, you think about your own work every day for four weeks, and then the last... 10 days the media were on my nature strip at home uh, I could open the curtains uh, and there were still two or three cars waiting to get the first quote in the morning and they were there for yeah, 10 days in a row but you open the curtains at 4am in the morning and see people sleeping <laughs> sleeping in the cars it, it did it did get out of control but uh, uh, 
the Ben Cousins thing probably didn't help. I don't think it did the club any real damage um, as, it, as it sort of played out and it gave Ben another opportunity in the game, which was very, very important to him and his family. But um, unfortunately, that didn't play out exactly how everyone would have liked it to when he went back to Perth anyway. But it was that was a huge media storm. Oh, but you're right. But you were getting the auxiliary questions as well about your career. So it was Correct. a big, du- the ultimate double down, wasn't it? And I remember the Herald Sun ran a headline at that time, which which lives on in many ways, Dead Man Walking, which was an incredible headline. Yeah, I can, I can remember uh, I was heading into to work and um, just sort of saying, or ringing my wife and just sort of saying, don't let the kids read the paper. I, I think that they'll probably cop it when they get to school anyway. They were all sort of in that you know, uh, high school age at the time. Uh, eldest in year 12, probably youngest in about year, uh, be year 9 or year 8, probably year 8. Um, so from that point of view, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a, just an awkward Awkward, awkward time. I imagine it would been really difficult. I mean, your skin's probably thick enough, as hard as it was for you, but then the family's obviously another matter altogether. In 2000, Essendon only lost one game, and it was in round 21 to your Western Bulldogs by way of the so-called Super Flood. You actually called it the Super Flood, did you not? Uh, was that the name you gave it? Did it have a name, or was it a... I don't think it had a name. I mean, it was basically a zone defence. I mean, I come from a basketball background, but I, I'd gone over to... Uh, America to the Denver Bron- Broncos uh, the summer before and uh, spent time with their defensive coaches about how they grid up the ground and how they, you know, if it was their game, how they would put a grid structure in place rather than playing a necessarily a man-on-man style game, which was not that disfamiliar to me as a basketball person. You know, play, we're playing either a you know, zone press or press or you are playing man-on-man, so there were varying options in basketball but not so much in, in football, we come back, I fiddled around with it a little bit. I trialled a couple of games with the players. It never really was definitive one way or another, so we, we housed it for a period of time. And That was pre-season? That was pre-season, yep. yeah. And so we got to a game where we, uh, yeah, Essendon were just uh, really running rampant against anyone. But they weren't only just winning, they were winning by 10 goals against everyone at the time. Mm. And, um what basically happened was we had about four or five of our senior blokes out. So we had kids running around playing. You know, Robert Murphy in his real you know, infancy was playing. And, you know, Mitch Hahn. I think we had Mitch Hahn sort of on the board when we first sort of started setting up our team playing on James Hurd. Mitch was in about his third game. So there was all – we just looked at, at it from a match committee point of view and went, realistically, we can't beat them unless we try something or try to trick it up a little bit. Um, I don't think we can beat them. So what we did was we, we gridded up a ground down at Werribee, uh, which was our feeder club in the in the VFL. And we only did light training. I went in, on, into the media. This is where they could help you at times. So I went into the media and sort of said, look, we're having a really light week trying to get ready ready for us and we're virtually treating it like a finals type training, training session. So yep. all we would do is go out, do a few light touches in, uh, in a, their hands, but then we would all jump in the cars and go down to Werribee, where we had the grid structured up there for a week. Magnificent. And practiced and practiced sort of away from prying eyes about what we were going to do, try to do on the uh, on the Friday night. And what the wording I used, I used to theme every single game uh, in a dossier to the players. Uh, that dossier was called the Night of Frustration. 
And that's how we sort of set it up as the night of frustration. I can always remember very quickly sort of saying to the players, there was a blue at half time. And for those that can sort of remember back to those days, and it was Brad Johnson who was never lost his cool at any time with Johnny Barnes. Johnny Barnes had given him a bit of a whack. Brad Johnson went up to him. There was a scuffle at half time, and they were, they were just sort of into each other a little bit. And I grabbed my players who were all steaming at the time. And I just went, what are you worried about? I sort of said, what have, what have we called the the, uh, the night? And they all, well, the night of frustration. I said, do they look frustrated? I mean, we've got it. We've got this exactly the way that we wanted to play it is exactly the way that the game has played out. But it was a little bit of rope-a-dope because if anyone ever goes back and watches the game, we always sort of said we had to break to the lead and then sort of see how things went because eventually they'll work it out, right, what, what's going on. And they'll, they'll come back at us a little bit. But the rope-a-dope factor is that they'll attack, they'll attack, and I think it was 70 inside 50s to 25 or something back the other way. So, so they'll attack, 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 attack. But at some stage, we're going to flip it and we go back to playing footy. So we went back to playing sort of a normal 18 style of game and uh, it was just when we pushed the uh, the trigger and it was fascinating in the in the uh, box that, you know people is it now is it now no 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 we'll hold we'll hold in the typical rope and dope <laughs> style until about I think oh, probably 13 minute mark or something like that of the last quarter and then we opened it up and then we had fresh legs because we'd been just sitting back the whole game, a la rope-a-dope style, where they'd been doing all the attacking and all the, the work. So we had the legs left in them and run over the top of them in the last sort of 10 or 12 minutes. And bringing the media back in, you were always, it was always said that you were right on the cutting edge tactically as well and you were a shrewd operator with the X's and O's on the magnet board. When you think back to moments like that in the years that you've been list manager, has there ever, ever been one tinsy-wincy little element of you that thinks, oh, geez, I wouldn't mind. I miss the coaching, the cut and thrust, or is it as a no, dire quick no, death? No, no, it's gone. Uh, no, in all honesty, it's completely gone. I basically haven't picked up a, uh, a whistle, like not for a local footy club or anything since the, uh, since the time that I finished at Richmond. Hence was the finish at Richmond too. I mean, yep. it was just, it was enough. You were done. I, I, I was done. I, I still get fascinated at times with the game and the, the game's changed so much, but I still sit there at times and go, well, why wouldn't you flip these two around? You know, you're losing in that position. You're losing in that position. You've got nothing to, you know, a loser or a loser, where you, all you can come out with is the same result if you flip them. You might still have two losers, but you may have one winner, and then again, you might end up with two winners. So there's little things in the game that I still think are relevant, no matter you know the style of change. Have you kept all the documents before we take a break? Have you kept the night of frustration? No, have you got I'm, that on hard copy? Oh, I'm hopeless. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I haven't got much at all from that sort of thing. I've got a few documents that, uh, if they ever, ever come out, would be of interest to uh, to some, I'm sure. I reckon they would be. Uh, plenty more still to come. We'll be back to wrap up the sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're with Terry Wallace. Terry, before we run out of time, some short and sharp ones for you. Um, 
favourite person to work with in the media here? You play favourites here for Well, us. no, I'm going to stay with Clinton Gribus on this one. I, I really enjoyed working with Clinton Gribus and I thought he was going to be a superstar and deserves the recognition. Favourite current player in the media? Who's taken the boots off, got behind the microphone and just done it seamlessly? Oh, I'm big Maxie. I like Maxie Gorn. Yeah. Uh, he, he's one that, uh, look, I had Jack Rewald alongside of me uh, for only a couple of years and I've loved his growth, but uh, uh, Maxie just tickles my fancy a little I, bit. I like Maxie's answer this week when um, asked about players taking a pay cut. He said they'd just corner Stephen May and Jake Lever and say, listen, boys. We'll shake you until we get some money out of it. Fair call. <laughs> this Absolutely is the captain fair. of the footy club. I love it. Um, lowest maintenance player. You've got your clipboard back in front of you coaching again. Um, who was the easiest to look after? Uh, Coachable. Brad Johnson. Uh, why I go with Brad Johnson is because he should have been a 14-year midfielder who gave up the whole of his game and had to learn a completely different role for the team and become a key position, basically a key position forward. Freak of a player, wasn't he? And you know if I've asked you lowest maintenance player, I'm going to ask you the highest maintenance player. Uh, Richo. <laughs> Matthew Richardson. Uh, he gets he gets my nod. Uh, just, look, I absolutely adored uh, coaching Richo. And of all the players who stood by my side when the bitter end was there, even though he knew it was going to be the bitter end. Richo was there. He was fantastic with kids. He was fantastic with hospital visits. But he was hard work on the training track. You know, if his mind wasn't on it, uh, the best thing you could do with Richo is just sort of say, go and run on the treadmill today because you're basically mucking up the training session. So, uh, go it, blow off some and that's steam. Why, look, that's why Tiger supporters loved him so much because the, the highs and the lows were all on display with Richo. Oh, he's fully embraced at the end, wasn't he? Everyone fell in love with him right at the end there. What will you miss most from the footy media, do you think, when you're kicking back on the French Riviera in, a, in, in 12, 24 months' time? What do you, what do you think you're going to be missing, if anything? Uh, well, I won't miss a lot because I'm one of those that I'm still going to be watching everything. I'm going to be, you know, like my wife's going to be driven nuts with me sort of getting up in the middle of the night to try to sort of still get my footy fix. So there won't be a lot that I would think that I'd miss out on. Um, still going to work, but going to work on those big days when the expectation is high and you don't know what you're going to get. Uh, I'll be going to games and watching games and doing it more socially um, over the next couple of years, finally being able to go to the past players functions that uh, the footy clubs keep inviting you to, but I'm always working. So um, I won't miss that, but you know, going in when you know it's the really big game and just what you're going to get. Well, you'll be penning your memoir anyway, I guess. So you'll have a bit to get on with uh, there. That, um, that won't be happening. <laughs> we obviously don't know what will be happening, speaking of what's happening with the season this year, for obvious reasons. Assuming it does get back up and running at some point, we have a steady run of games into the finals and we get to our grand final and we have our premier. If you look into the Terry Wallace crystal ball, what are you seeing uh, here in March? I'm thinking we can get a back-to-back premier. Um, I think that Chris Scott is wrong in his uh, thoughts on the Tigers. I think they are as good as those other sides. They might very well show it this time around that they potentially could have been a team that had the chance, lost that opportunity, but had the chance of being able to actually win four in a row. Got a feeling they might be able to do that, but more importantly to me is that the love really comes back for footy by the end of the year and you know that the hardships that we go through throughout the year is all forgotten by the time that we get to September, October, November, whenever yeah. that is, and uh, that we can all just sort of say, geez, it's great to have it back in earnest. Well, Terry, I know that I sum up the thoughts of many footy followers and sport lovers in general when I say thanks for your contribution, not only to the game, 
but to your life after the game, if I can call that, in the media, you've been an absolute marvel. Personally, for me, it's a pleasure to be involved in your farewell tour, your Johnny Farnham farewell this year in 2020. Uh, thanks for joining us here on The Sporting Life. Thanks very much, Sam. And I won't be doing a John Farnham uh, this time around. I will not be back. And thank you for listening to This Is Your Sporting Life. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Don't forget... You'd like to share this episode with a friend or would like to catch up on any of our previous shows, subscribe to the podcast. Join me again same time next week when we celebrate another great Australian sporting story on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.